You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. Who's excited to be back today? Yeah, I'm very excited, man. I was gone last week. It was a great vacation with my family. And if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this, that when you have little kids, it's never really vacation, right? So um, it was still fun, but there's a lot of running around, and there's even more stuff they can get into when you go on vacation. So it's just nonstop. But, man, it was a good time. I was very excited to join you guys online. Uh, Pastor Shane did an amazing job. He's, he's one of my good buddies. Uh, he loves Jesus like crazy, and I know that you guys got to see that. Um, the Spirit really used him to encourage us. I asked him to step out of the Job series and just to bring what he thought God would have him bring an impact. So this morning, we're going to jump back into our Job series, and we're actually finishing that series up today. And throughout this series, what we've done is we've seen the suffering of Job. We've seen how he responded to that, how he chose faith and what choosing faith looks like and what it doesn't mean when you choose faith. We saw that he was given a lot of advice and counsel, and we we talked about some questions that we can ask when we're receiving or giving counsel to line it up uh, with Scripture to make sure that it's it includes all the facts, right? To make sure that it's necessary and to speak it in love, which is something that I think we struggle with sometimes because we always want to be right, and sometimes when our desire to be right, we lose the aspect of speaking in love. And man, what a hindrance that is for the church to be that way. When the church should be speaking biblical, necessary, factual truth in love with the goal of pointing people to Jesus. Man, and that's that's my heart for our church. And you guys are great at pointing people to Jesus. And I, I'm blessed and honored to be a part of this local family. And then in week three of this series, we actually got to see how Job points to Jesus and how there's a a gospel story within the book of Job. And this week, what we're going to do and how we're going to end this is we're going to look at the last chapter of Job, which is Job chapter 42. And we're going to see how Job experiences some type of revival in his life. And I don't know if you've ever heard the term revival, if you've been around church, then that's just a word that you've probably heard before. Um, And it's not just a church where revival is just a word that just exists. It's in the dictionary. So the dictionary uh, definition for this is revival is a new attention to or interest in something. It's just a new attention to or interest in something. And then if we kind of bring this into the spiritual aspect of things. Robert Coleman said this about revival. He said the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. So what this is, is it's it's God's people being awakened to their true nature, which is an image bearer of God and their true purpose, which is to bring him glory. So revival, simply put, is God's people living like God's people are intended to live. That's its its simplest, purest definition of revival. And here's one of the issues that I have with with some of the revival services that churches do, and I'm not saying that they're bad, I'm just a personal issue for me, is that they, 
they don't really point to this is what our purpose is in life, right? These revival services are intended, from my experience, they're intended to really uh, well up some type of emotion inside of you. And man, pastors are really, really good at bringing out some emotions during a service. Man, and you may say, well, that's the Spirit. And I agree that the Spirit does that. The Spirit, he, he works on the inside. But pastors tend, myself included, we tend to try to be some type of dramatic at certain points during the service to try to inspire you guys to make a decision. So I want you to know up front that my intention this morning is not to do that to you. My intention is to go through this chapter of Job and allow the Spirit to work in your life to see what revival really looks like and what it really means. So let's just jump straight in to Job 42. We're going to read the first six verses really quick. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. Verse 5. I, I, have heard, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God, we pray that you speak this morning. And I pray that the Spirit moves and works like only He can. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to give you uh, some, some, some things here, right? Just some steps for revival. And I want us to look at this passage of Scripture to see how Job did these things or how some of his friends did these things. And then at the end of this chapter, we're going to see what God does. And man, it's exciting. I already know the end. I don't know if you read the end of chapter 42. I have, and it's really good and it's really exciting. So I want you to just be attentive. If you take notes, take notes this morning. Even if you doodle, it just makes me think that you're taking notes and that you're paying attention, and that's great, and I love that. And I appreciate you guys taking notes and just wanting to learn. Number one is this. There's a conviction of sin. Man, and this is a bad word in the church, right? And we don't like to talk about sin from, from the pulpit because people get offended by that. But here's what I know about sin and people that get offended. The people that get offended are the ones living in sin. The people that get offended by the Spirit speaking to their hearts and into their lives are the ones that are really struggling with something and they're being convicted of that sin. See, I can't produce conviction. The worship team can't produce conviction. Lights on the stage can't produce conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can produce conviction. But revival... God's people coming back to their true nature and their true purpose always starts with the conviction of sin. See, what happens is sin draws us away from God. So because of that sin, we are no longer living as the image bearers of God that He's called us to live as. See, because of sin, we have wandered away from our true nature and our true purpose. So until there's a conviction of that sin, then we're going to stay stuck in that place. And we're not going to experience revival. We see in verse 6 that Job says, Therefore I despise myself. Another translation says, Abhor 
He's at a place in his life where he is so heartbroken over sin that he has committed. Now I want you to think back to this story. And what we find is that Job's friends continuously tell him that it's because of his sin that he's experiencing suffering. Yet we know, reading about this event, that that is not the reason at all for the suffering of Job. That there was this meeting in the heavenly places and God granted Satan permission to do all these different things to Job. And that's the reason that he's going through this suffering. There's a greater purpose in this process that's happening. But his friends continuously say, hey man, it's because of your sin. So then we jump here and Job, he is, he is despising his actions and despising his sin. And you say, well, what sin is that? And throughout this book of Job, we see that Job says some things that he probably shouldn't say. That he wishes to be dead because he just can't handle the suffering. Now some of you, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in a place in your life where the suffering was so hard that you'd rather not be here on this earth anymore. Man, and that's real pain and that's real suffering and I don't want to diminish that because it is something that, man, especially at our generation, we deal with that a lot. We deal with the, the thoughts of, man, it would be better, better if I just weren't here. But Job, in his, in his agony and in his pain, he begins to say things that he really doesn't understand spiritually about God. So because of those things that he said, he begins to despise himself because he has said those things about the Heavenly Father. He's having this moment of conviction in his life. Man, and my question for you sitting in this room is, man, is there conviction in your life over the sin that's there? Man, so we all have sin, and we say that here a lot, right? We are imperfect people. We're engaging a perfect God and we want to impact the kingdom like crazy. But man, we're imperfect people, meaning that we have sin. We have sin in our life. We sin each and every single day. Man, even my wife, who is close to perfect. Y'all can tell her that. She's not in here. Man, um, she's close to perfect. But she sins each and every day. Man, we all do. But here's, here's the question. Is there conviction over that sin? Do you despise that sin in your life? Or has it just become natural to you? Which means that the nature that you were created for, you're no longer living in that nature because you're okay with the sin that's in your life. And I don't know if you played sports or you work with your hands a lot or whatever, but man, we get calluses on our hands, and I have some that are just going to be there forever. It is not from hard work with my hands. I just want to throw that out there. Um, it's just from a life of sports, and it's in the same place on both hands. And what happens is, when I play golf a lot, that some of these can cut open. And that's when they hurt. But then they get hard again, and the, the, the pain's gone, and I can just continue on with what I'm doing. And that's really what sin does in our life is that when sin is there, it hurts, right? We're convicted. It does something to us. But the more we ignore it, the more it gets hard. And then we can continue to live life with that sin and we don't recognize or understand. But then there comes a point where it's cut open. 
Man, and that cut open is the conviction of the Spirit in your life. And we have a choice to make during that conviction. The choice is, man, we can let this heal because we know it's going to feel better eventually and we can continue to live life the same way. Or we can say, man, this hurts. It doesn't please God. It's not what I was created for. And I want to do number two, which is repent of sin. Repent of sin. So once the conviction happens, we see that Job repents in dust and ash. And we talked about the dust and ash before and how that just represents a a season, a moment of suffering. And in this suffering, Job decides, hey, I'm convicted of this sin, and now my next step is to repent of that. And you say, well, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to repent? Why is it important? Why do we need to do it? And in it just as simple as I can make it, repent is just a turn. Right? So we're living life walking away from God, and a, a repentance is to turn back. But it's not just to turn our bodies back towards Him. It's to turn our affection back to Him. See, repentance isn't just to say, man, I know that's wrong and I'm not going to do it again. And you turn around because what we do is we begin to walk backwards. Maybe we're looking at Jesus now, but we're still walking that way because our affections haven't turned toward Him. And there's a difference. I want you to hear this today. There's a difference between our eyes looking at Jesus and our heart's affection being on Him. And then if we want to experience revival in this place, in our community, then it starts with the conviction of sin and then turning, repenting, and turning our affections back to Jesus. And what are you passionate about in life? Some of you are passionate about your work. Some of you are passionate about going on trips. Some of you are passionate about sports. Some of you are passionate about you fill in the blank. Does that passion and affection trump your passion and affection for God? Man, I'm afraid in a world that's so busy and so just consumer driven that it's really, really easy for us to allow our passions and affection for the things of this world to be much higher and much greater than our passion and our affections for Jesus. And if we truly want to experience a revival, just a personal revival within our own hearts, within our own lives, then man, we have to turn our affections back to the Creator of the universe, the One who created us in His image to bring Him glory and honor. Man, and that is my heart and my prayer for you guys. Verse 7 says, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad and Shuhite and so far the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had had before. 
Listen, number three is this. We must pray for other people. And we get so focused on our own lives that we don't ever pray for other people. Let me tell you something about the people sitting around you. They are suffering in some way in this place right now. There are people in this room that are hurting. There are people in this room that need you to stand in the gap for them. And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I don't like that person. Well, they probably don't like you either. And that's okay. Right? We don't have to like each other. God tells us to pray for one another. Man, when's the last time that you seriously got before God and intimately prayed for someone else? It's so easy to ask God for the things that we need. But man, when have we stepped in, we filled the gap for someone else? Man, it's so important. If we want to experience revival, we have to stop focusing on us. We focus our eyes on Jesus. We turn our affections on Him. And we pray for other people to experience Jesus like we have. If we want to see a city change with the gospel, then we pray for the city to be changed with the gospel. And then we do our part to take the gospel to the city. We see in verse 8 it says, And my servant Job shall pray for you. Number 4 is this obedience to God. Verse 9 says, They went and did what the Lord had told them. So here's the context of what's happening. God's not happy with Job's friends who continue to say it's because of your sin that God is he's punishing you. That's the reason that you're dealing with this suffering. They were wrong. And while their wisdom would have been really good wisdom for the most part, it just wasn't factual. It was incorrect wisdom. So although people are punished for sin, that's not what was happening in this case. And they continuously said that, and God was not pleased with their response. But instead of God punishing them for what they said, He said, hey, I'm going to allow Job to pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. How powerful is it that God will accept the prayer of you on someone else's behalf? Man, have you ever thought about that? That someone's hurting, that someone's sick, that someone is, their relationship is falling apart, and you begin to pray for them fervently and passionately and intimately, and God moves on behalf of your prayer for someone else. Wow. Man, how special is it that we have the relationship with King Jesus to where we can speak to Him? Now, it doesn't mean that He's going to answer every single one of your prayers the way that you want Him to answer it, right? If He did, some of you would be billionaires because you pray to win the lottery like every time it reaches a billion dollars. And man, I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. If you want to pray that, pray that. Just tithe if you do that. But man, what I'm telling you is that we have the opportunity to pray for other people and God is faithful and sometimes He chooses to work on the behalf of our prayers. He uses our prayers to move in the lives of other people. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's a powerful thing to know in your life. Is that your prayer for other people is so important that God will move even if they're not praying themselves. And sometimes we just need those people to pray for us. 
And if you have kids, then you, you really know what this is about because, man, I pray for my kids like crazy. And a lot of it's, man, I really want them to behave. I really want them to stop doing this. God, can you please just do something to them? Touch them. Do something. Come down if you have to and just grab whatever. Do something. But man, then I pray that they come to know who He is. That they experience Him on a personal level. And if you've been with us for a while, you, you know that my oldest daughter accepted Jesus and I got to baptize her. And that was one of, man, the greatest joys of ministry for me so far over these last 13, 14 years was getting to baptize my daughter knowing that she made the decision to follow after Jesus. Man, and I'm praying for my other two to experience Jesus. Even when they don't even understand, I'm praying now. Man, and I'm confident in the fact that the Spirit will reveal Himself to them. Man, and I can't make the decision, but man, I'm going to pray like crazy for them. You know, we should pray for other people the same way. They don't have to be our kids. They don't have to be family. They don't even have to be friends. Sometimes we just need to pray for the person that we see right down the street when the Spirit says, hey, pray for them. And we say, well, I don't know them. He didn't ask you if you knew them, right? He just said, pray for them. He knows them. He knows their need. And He's calling you to pray for them and to be obedient to that. See, what happens is Job's friends, they don't argue with God when God tells them, hey, go offer up a burnt offering. They don't argue with them. They say, okay, and they go and offer up a burnt offering and Job prays for them. And then God says, hey, I've accepted Job's prayer. They were obedient to what God told them to do. If we want to experience revival in our lives, then we must be obedient to what the Spirit tells us to do. If you know God's telling you to do something, your responsibility is to be obedient to that and do it. And there's going to be times where He calls you to do something and you don't know, even know what that means. You don't know what it looks like. And He's calling you to have faith and to take a step and to allow Him to, to maneuver and to guide you in the direction that He wants you to go. I'm going to be honest with you. I went through a lot of schooling. I went through a year's worth of training for planting churches. And before we planted this church, I still really had no idea how to plant a church. Now we're two and a half years in and I almost still have no idea how to plant a church. But here's what we did. We had a group of people who were obedient to what God told us to do. We had a group of people who said, yeah, so we kind of know what this looks like, but not really. We're going to take a step of faith and we're going to allow Him to maneuver and to guide us where He wants us to go. And now we're two and a half years into this church plant and because of Him, we've seen over 10 people give their lives to Jesus. We've seen over 10 people get baptized. We've seen marriages be restored. We've seen people who were falling away from Jesus come back and recommit their lives to Him. We've seen people who were dealing with addiction and unforgiveness and all these other things. We've seen people taking steps of faith together. Not because of us, but because of Him. But here's the deal. We had to be obedient to what He called us to do to start this church. 
And I'm not trying to tell you that we're the best church around or that this church is amazing. What I'm trying to tell you is that we're obedient to what God tells us to do. And it doesn't matter if there's 10 people in this room or a thousand people in this room. We're going to be obedient to what God tells us to do. And we're going to, we're going to point people to Him. So number one is conviction of sin. Number two is repentance of sin. Number three is to pray for others. Number four is obedience to God. And then we see, and this is just a side note, this isn't a number, but we see in verse 10 that it says, and Job was restored. Job was restored. He's going through all the suffering, the worst, the worst season of his life. And then after he prays for his friends, right, after the conviction, after the repentance, after he prays, for his friends. His friends are obedient. He prays for them. And then he's restored. But here's what I want you to understand about this. That if you break this down in its original language, this doesn't mean that Job was restored health-wise. We know that he had boils all over his body. It doesn't mean that he was restored with all the material things. We're going to see that that does happen. But that's not what this means. This means that he was held captive by a sin and by some, some really bad feelings towards his friends. And then once he repented of the sin, once he prayed for his friends with true, sincere prayer, he was no longer held captive. So he was restored to his freedom in God. And there's some of you sitting in this room that you need to be restored. Not physically, but you need to be restored spiritually because there's some things going on within you that you need to let go of. You need to pray for someone. You need to repent of something and you need to allow that restoration to happen in your life. See, our God's a God of restoration. Our God's not a God that just lets pieces just lay there. Right now, He lets us choose. If we want those pieces to lay there, He's going to allow us to just wallow in those pieces. But as soon as we say, hey, Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. I'm turning my affection back to you. We begin to be obedient to what He's told us to do. He begins to pick up the pieces of our life and put them back together. And the awesome part is the way that He puts them back together is usually way, way, way more beautiful than the way they were before. I don't want you to think that there, there's more pieces or that there's, there's more wealth or that there's better health. The picture's just more beautiful because we've experienced God. Verse 11. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. I want you to understand something. And this is really, 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 really important. Number five is this. That if we want to experience revival, there's got to be unity and excitement. And we see that all his brothers, all his sisters, the people that had known him before the suffering, they all came and they united with him and they ate together. Here's what I've seen over the last 10 to 15 years of the church is that there's so much disunity that we're pointing nobody to Jesus. 
There's so much disunity among the body of Christ that nobody even knows what the point is even more. And the point is always Jesus. The Gospel is the only thing worth fighting for. Now there's implications of the Gospel that, that change our heart and that make us, they just make us more like Jesus. And that's very important, but it starts with the Gospel. Man, and there must be unity. And there's so much division in our world. There's political division. There's racial division. There's division over the men and women. There's division over all kinds of issues. And as the church, we have to understand this, that it's all about the Gospel of Jesus. And that we're unified around the Gospel. We're unified around the fact that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're unified around the fact that Jesus came on a rescue mission for you, for me, and for everyone else out in this world. And that unites us as sinners who need Jesus. And we have an opportunity to begin a relationship with the Savior who came to rescue us. Man, I get so fed up with all this other stuff that happens. Man, and it's going to happen in the world. It's just going to happen. The world hates Jesus. The world hates the church. The world hates you as a Christ follower. And that's just the truth. And the more we try to fit in with the world, the less we are becoming like Jesus. And if we want to experience revival, and we have to understand unity in the body of Christ. And that means we don't argue over if you vote Republican or if you vote Democrat. We don't argue over if, if you do this style of music or if you do this style of music. We don't argue over all the stuff that the world is throwing at us. We unite around Jesus as the answer and as the Savior of the world. And we get excited about it. We get excited about the Gospel. How many... How many churches do you think are meeting? Just We'll just stay in the CSRA. A lot, right? You don't even have to throw out a number. There's a lot of churches meeting today. There's going to be a lot of people sitting in auditoriums and sanctuaries and fellowship halls, uh, wherever they meet, right? There's going to be a lot of people today that are meeting. And they're singing songs. They're doing responsive readings. They're... Uh, taking communion, they're doing baptism, they're dedicating kids, they're opening God's Word, they're doing all these things. And I would be willing to say that there's a majority of those people who aren't excited about the Gospel, that they just show up because it's the thing to do on Sunday morning. Man, in my heart and the, the prayer of our leadership team here is that we're a church full of people excited for the Gospel. Of Jesus. That we're a people so excited that we can't contain our excitement. That we want to share Jesus with the world around us. That doesn't mean that we're taking our Bibles and that we're slamming people in the head. It means that we're showing God's love to them in practical, real ways. And man, we can't do that effectively if we're not experiencing a personal revival within our own lives. And there's got to be unity. There's got to be excitement. Number six is this. 
spiritual blessings. We see in verse 12, it says, And the Lord blessed. Because He blessed the latter days of Job. And if you keep reading, man, He was given double everything. He was given more cattle, more land, more kids. But man, there's a reason that this is at the end of this chapter. Because that's not the way that God always blesses people. Right? If you lose something, it doesn't mean that God's going to give you that and give you that double. I, I don't, I don't want to preach that to you this morning because, man, that's, that's dangerous to think that. But what I want you to know is that Job experienced a spiritual blessing. He experienced something in his heart that he had never experienced before. See, he knew about God. He had, he had heard about God. He, he believed there was a God. And then through this suffering, he experienced God intimately. And that experience with God changed him and blessed him spiritually. When's the last time that you experienced God? I'm going to close this morning. This is a rock. If you can't see, it's really little. Tried to find a bigger one. There was not one. This is a rock. We went to the beach, as you guys know, and we got ice cream, and it was this rolled stuff, and man, it was nasty. But the kids liked it, and I got my son a, a little cup of this ice cream, and again, we're at the beach, so there's just sand everywhere, and they, they parked this truck out in a little vacant lot area. So we got the ice cream. I put him down. He's got his cup. He takes one bite, and then he starts just screaming. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, you... This is not how this is supposed to work. I just spent $9 on this tiny little cup of ice cream. You're going to enjoy this ice cream. But man, he wasn't screaming about the ice cream. He had sand in his, in his sandals. He had sand in his sandals. That's all he could think about was the sand in his sandals. He's, he's got this $9 rolled ice cream that's like majestic. And all he could think about is the sand in his sandals. Man, and it's like having a rock, right? If you think about having a rock just stuck in your shoe. And I really tried to find a sucker today for this illustration. I couldn't find one. School's out. All the teachers took their stuff home. And I wouldn't steal one anyway. I would ask. But, man, think about having a rock in your shoe. And somebody gives you a, a blow pop, your favorite kind. They give you strawberry. Strawberry blow pop. There's no blow pop better. The strawberry, and we're not arguing about it. I have the microphone. Strawberry is the best blow pop out there. But man, what we do is as we walk and as this rock is uncomfortable, we don't think about the goodness of the blow pop. We think about the suffering of the rock in our shoe. So although Alden had this ice cream, and this ice cream is amazing, and he eventually does eat this ice cream, all he can think about is the sand in his sandals. And I'm afraid that as Christ followers, we, we worry about the, the rock in our shoe and the sand in our sandals, and we forget that the presence of God is always with us. We stop fo focusing on the goodness of God because we can't get over the fact that there's a rock in our shoe. And this morning, there's some of you who you've placed the rock in your own shoe. And that's just the truth of things this morning.
is that there's something that you're always worried about, that you're always thinking about, that's always bothering you. And all you have to do is take your shoe off and dump the rock out. This thing hurts. It's real pain. It's real discomfort. These things in our life that that distract us, they're real. And I don't want you to think that they're not real, that they're not really, really big deals. But what it's doing is it's causing us to lose sight of the fact that the Spirit of God lives within us as Christ followers. And we're so focused on the sand, we're so focused on the rock in our shoes, that we're not focused on the God of the universe who has placed His Spirit to live in each and every one of us who have decided to follow after Jesus. So this morning, and I'm praying that the Spirit is is convicting some hearts in this place. I'm praying that you guys take the step of repentance. That you don't leave this place today without repenting of that sin. We're going to pray for other people. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to pray for. You need to be obedient to that. And I'm praying that you get excited and that we're unified about the gospel. Man, and then I want to just watch as we begin to be blessed spiritually like never before. But during this song of response, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask you that if you're being convicted of that sin, I want you to come up and I want you to lay your proverbial rock on these steps. And I want you to cry out to God to restore the excitement of salvation and the gospel in your life. And what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate that together. Just because you come up here and just because you're repenting doesn't mean that you're worse than anybody else sitting out here because the truth is every single person can be up here repenting of something. Man, and I want you to experience revival. That's why I have a rock. I'm laying my rock down on these steps today. I'm going to lead you in that charge. Because there's some, there's some repenting that needs to be done in this place. And two weeks ago, we, we prayed together and we, we, we repented of just some communal sin of the church. And how church leadership has just really done a poor job and they've abused so many vulnerable people. Man, and I used to think that, man, that has nothing to do with me. I didn't do that. Our church didn't do that. But it does have something to do with us because we're the church. And, and communal sin is still sin. And we have to repent of that. And this morning, I want to move away from communal sin to personal sin. And as we, as we stand together and we sing this song, well, we're going to sing like we've never sang before. Because He's worthy to be praised in this place. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for ourselves to, to
to get some excitement back, we're going to pray for other people. We're going to add something this time. We're going to bring. And we're going to bring our sin, our sand, our filth. We're going to bring that to the altar. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.